Hello, welcome to my podcast. This is a podcast about World War II. I won't be talking about well-known things like D-Day or the the Battle of the Bulge, maybe the Russian Front. Generally, I won't be talking about things like Stalingrad. No, instead I will be thinking about I will be talking about the small things, things people don't always know, such as the structure behind military units. Alright, so today we will be talking about a triple episode, as to make up for my last week's absence, the first part Episode 3, which is will be German High Command. Episode 4, German Self-Propelled Weapons. And then Episode 5, Early War German Tanks. These topics all fit, put together quite well, generally. Alright. Alright, so first, so first, Episode 3, German High Command. Obviously, one of the main characters of the German High Command would be Adolf Hitler himself. He was particularly on the Eastern Front. He tended to make decisions, although not exactly with his general's consent. He, he did order them from time to time, such as to take away focus from Moscow onto the Stalingrad and the rest of the southern front as to take over the Russian oil fields. Because this would mean Germany had a much bigger chance of winning the war with the tanks running out of oil, especially in 1944 and 1945. Alright, so the first actual general I want to talk about would be von Kleist. He was, as a a general chunk of the German generals and field marshals were from World War I. He was an exceptionally well tanked commander. Second, I want to talk about von Leib, also from World War I, with a bit of a bigger record from there. He commanded the Northern Group on the Eastern Front. He was, during Operation Barbarossa, the main commander in the north and also could, was the commander during the failed Leningrad siege, which lasted almost three years, or three years. Next, von Wunstedt. He was an exceptional World War I commander, although originally an Kriegsmarine graduate from nobility. He generally served all over Europe, but he was quite a capable commander. Next, von Kluge. He he was part of the successful invasion of Poland and France, and a not successful invasion of the USSR. He was also part of the... Hitler assassination plot. 
the July 20 plot where Hitler was supposed to be assassinated. Next from Bock. He was also a World War I commander and quite a good tank commander. Uh, his own panzer divisions were the furthest to ever go into the to strike into the USSR with this with Army Group Center, and then later was transferred to Army Group South. Next, von Manstein. Von Manstein was um, a more generalized but still very tank focused commander. He was focused on mobility, but he was one of the best of the German High Command and very capable. He he had frequently arguments. He frequently he frequently has arguments with Hitler from 94, 1944 onwards, and th- and so also got discharged as a general. In nineteen ninety in nineteen forty four, but he was the one who stabilized the Southern Army Group Army Group South after the Stalingrad retreat, which he himself handled as well, and he won some successful and quite important victories after Stalingrad, since right after Stalingrad. You realize when so ma- basically entirely army group south was annihilated, and you still managed to win some victories. That's quite a good thing for morale if you look at the previous thing that just happened. Next, Rommel, Erwin Rommel. He was the desert fox, he was the best commander in North Africa, the one who had to compete with Montgomery. He, Montgomery and Rommel had quite some fights, I guess, in terms of strategical battles, as he not only fought in North Africa until it collapsed in 1943 and then went into the Italian front, but from when he was resigned from Africa, the Northern African Front, he went into the Normandy defences, and just generally the Atlantic Wall defences in that area. And up to 1944, he m- massively improved it. It was decisive, otherwise I, the Allies would have not lost nearly as much men, probably. He ordered takes to be put into the ground, with mines on top of them, and much other defences. And although uh, it was thought that he was in the July 20 plot, he actually was not. Yet Hitler forced him to to commit suicide, or otherwise he would have had a fake trial where he would be judge with treason and not only him but his entire but his family and were and a and helpers would also be assa- killed not assassinated next mode walter modo and the commander of 
Army Group B in the Western Front. He was, let's just call it, the exceptionally defensive, well-commanded, well, great defensive commander. Uh, next is Guderian. He was the one who basically gave birth. He, he was the father of the Blitzkrieg. He, he invented that. He was one of the inventors of the lightning warfare style that Germany adopted in the early war. He was definitely a, com a commander of the Panzers. Mm. Next, I want to talk about Friedrich Paulus. He, he's basically the Stalingrad guy. He was a commander of the Southern Front in the, on the Eastern side. And so, he was the one who got so many men killed or captured in Southern Russia. Around Stalingrad. Next, I want to talk about Kurt Student. He was the f he was like Guderian was the father of the Blitzkrieg. Student was basically the father of the Jägers, which are the German paratroopers from World War Two. He was the commander of them. He he trained them for. For things like the invasion of Crete. But after the Battle of Crete, they were starting to be used as regular infantry due to heavy losses, according to German, according to Hitler. Alright, next are the German self propelled weapons. With self propelled weapons, can be Generalized into three categories self propelled guns, self propelled artillery, and self propelled anti air. Self propelled guns are, ba are what's also called tank destroyers. Self propelled artillery is basically artillery on a mobile carriage, and self propelled anti air was very important for the Germans, as from after mo already just. The Battle of Britain, air superiority was generally lost. The Germans had lost too many planes and too many experienced pilots in the, during that time. Alright, so onto the topic of self-propelled guns. I've just picked out some of the more known, known ones. Although I said I would be talking about smaller things, these are smaller things still. The Stoke 3, which was mainly used as a support gun, actually. Uh, it was it had the short barreled gun that you'd expect from an early war Panzer IV, which I'll be talking about later. And also the pa and the Stoke 4. Both were eventually utilized into an anti-tank role, especially with Operation Barbarossa going, as the Russians, the T-34s would definitely need high, something like an 88mm gun to be destroyed in the, during the early stages of Barbarossa and even the latest ones. 
until things like the tiger and such came out. Next, I would like to talk about the jacked tiger. It was... It had the carriage of a king tiger, which is a tiger too. Yet, it was... It had a bigger gun. It had the gun of the mouse, I believe. Which was 128 millimeters. So, and so the just the high velocity 88 millimeter would wreck Allied armor and Soviet armor, but the 120 to one one to eight millimeter that would just tear up a Sherman. That Sherman has no survivability chances against a Jack Tiger, I would say. But it had it lacked so much in the transmission department that it really wasn't all that good of a tank, even with that great gun. So they instead made the Panther, which was a seventy-six millimeter. The Panther itself has a, I think, a seventy-six millimeter gun. But then the the jacked Panther. Had a 88 millimeter. It was on top of a panther carriage, which is basically the hull and the tracks. But the gun was a bit too front heavy. Panther wasn't very suited for the 88 millimeter, although it definitely did wreck opponents such as Churchill's. And lastly, the elephant, or later known as the Ferdinand. The elephant was a special thing, kinda. It was made for Operation Citadel, also known as the Battle of Kursk, the biggest tank battle in history, at least from World War Two. But it performed so poorly, the transmission was really, really horrible. It had a great gun, but it was a tank destroyer. It's tank destroyers are supposed to be either protected by others, and elephants. They had no machine guns, other than the whole one, so they would be they would be so dead when a simple Soviet infantry group would attack them. Just poor. Bastards for whoever had to drive those things. And the transmission, like I said, was very bad. It could not drive down the hills there. Uh, so the, there were a few builds, I think it was 80, and a few survived the Battle of Kursk. And later they and so they were taken back into the factories, reworked into the Ferdinand. The Ferdinand was an improvement, not much, but it was definitely better. So during the Sicily campaign and the campaign of Italy, the German juices against the Allies with bloody results. I think there's only currently two Ferdinand's left in existence, and these things would would not hold up.
Next, we go on to the topic of self-propelled artillery. Able to pro provide battlefield support from a safe, concealed position. Mostly. There's a few German exceptions. Because, you know, it's German. It's World War II Germany. It's, nah, they don't come up with at least not one ridiculous design that somehow slightly works. So first we talk about the Hummel. It was a chassis of the Panzer IV was used and it was mounted onto that. Uh, it was also named, it was Bumblebee basically. Uh, it was according to what I found Hitler ordered the name Hummel to be dropped as it was deemed inappropriate for a fighting vehicle uh, and really just these things had six crew members with one driver and five gun cruiser. Artillery really needs some protection. And the ten the they had a good they had a good gun. They anyways, onto the Wesp. The Wesp was, I believe, the earlier variant of the Hummel, although from a different, a different tank. Well, yes, it was made of uh, the Hummel was made of a Panzer three or Panzer four chassis, while the Hummel, while the Wesp was made of the Panzer two chassis. Then there was the Grille, which it was, I wouldn't say it was very good. It was, uh, it had also had an ammunition carrier variant, but it was based on the Czech Panzer 38 chassis, which we will talk about in the next chapter, in episode 5, but lastly, as the German, the just the German mad lad things, would be the Brumbar. It was ridiculous. It was, I believe, mounted onto a Tiger chassis. I'm not sure, so don't quote me on that, but it had a 380mm mortar capable of infantry support up really close. It, it was a short range. It basically replaced the early war Stoker 3. 
and then onto the self-propelled anti-air, which Germany really needed. The Ostwind and the Whirlwind were, I believe, both uh, mounted onto the Panzer IV chassis. Uh, yes, the Whirlwind was definitely mounted onto the Chan Panzer IV chassis, but so was the Oswind, but it mainly had different guns. The Oswind's main improvement over the Whirlwind was the implant instead of the Os Whirlwind's 2cm flag feeling 38, which had four guns, and not the best, but it was quite good. The Oswind had the flag 43, 3.7cm gun, which was an improvement, especially with if you account for how tough, tough, Allied aircraft were being were getting, and then you have the Flak Panzer One, based on the Panzer One chassis, of course, and the Flak Panzer Four, based on the Panzer Four chassis, of course, and then you also have the Flak Panzer Thirty Eight T, based on the Panzer Thirty Eight T chassis. Germans had quite a few and quite varying levels of good in combat. SVAA, but really mattered for them. Alright, on to the last topic of today. The early war German tanks. Now, with German tanks, everybody screams Tiger and Panther and King Tigant. Mouse and the P1000 Ratter, those big, bulky th tanks, wasn't made. Those weren't made a lot. There was two concrete prototypes and four wooden prototypes of the mouse. And the Tiger and the King Tiger had no more than two thousand production models made together and the, the they were quite good they were exceptionally well but with early war German tanks I'm really just talking about the invasion of Poland the invasion of Czechoslovakia but from the time period I will be talking about will be the invasion of France since one of the tanks was o was only taken after the invasion of Czechoslovakia, which would be the Panzer 38C. The Czechs had really good tanks for their time. If you would compare a Panzer 1 or a Panzer 38C and a, t and a Panther, it the Panzer would be like, would look like three times as large as the Panzer One, and the Panther is smaller than the Tiger for sure. Now onto the Panzer One. It was a good one-man 
one-man one turret tank with a radio. All German tanks had radios. It was one of the best things ever for tank warfare. It, it, it basically made what it, it, tank warfare is today now. And the Panzer one only had machine guns. It was really just an anti-infantry tank, but could still pierce some other tanks, as machine gun bullets are quite a large caliber. And if you compare it with the most of the average bullets. Next, we will be talking about the Panzer Two. It's big. It's small. Big brother. It was. It looks a lot like the Panzer One, but this one had way more variants. This one also had the artillery version and such. But the Panzer Two had a a two centimeter or. 20mm autocannon. Much better at taking out vehicles. And really, also, although still one man turret, it would definitely be better than a Panzer 1. Now, the Panzer 3 and Panzer 4, the early war versions, are not going to be remembered by much people as the they are different from the late war versions. In they swapped basically mid war. They swapped raw. You see, originally Panzer III had a long barreled fifty cent fifty millimeter cannon, and the Panzer IV had a short barreled seventy five millimeter howitzer. Howitzers are great for firing. High explosive, but not for armor piercing. So, yes. But the Panzer III was also smaller than the Panzer IV still. It had a long barreled 15mm cannon, as I said. And this was the f- one of the first three man turret tanks. Especially for the Germans, it was very important. During the invasion of Czechoslovakia and of Poland and France, since this was the tank to take out their own, t- those other enemy tanks, which by s- war standards was important since you want to wreck the enemy, but it wouldn't stand up against things like a Char B1 bis. Unless it was a very coordinated attack, but still several tanks would be taken out for sure. And then the Panzer IV short barrels. The Panzer IV was the backbone of the German tank force. And although the short barrel version saw less combat than the long barrel versions, the Panzer IV short barrel version was the Panzer IV F1, which later became the F2 with a long barrel 75mm cannon. Then into the H variant, the 
E variants and the G variants and Germans with their variants, you know. Anyway, that was the early war German tanks. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Alright, so that was it for this podcast. Let me just wrap the paper. Alright, right, so for next podcast, we had we have had British military ranks, or general military ranks also. Allied High Command. Today we spoke about German High Command, German self-propelled weapons, and early war German tanks. Next time we're going to talk about bad French tanks, because Wood doesn't like shunning the French a bit for their tactics. Although they were quite fairly good tactics overall, they were important. But let's see how the French aided their own demise with tanks. And so I also be talking about some French strategy of in during the early war period, of course. But just to sum up bad French tanks, the the Renault FC seventeen, the Somia S thirty five and the ARL. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode of German military of German military things and hope you enjoyed being cast with all these German things. On to the baguettes. <laughs>